you're sucked into this repeated cycle of abuse and affection. And then that makes you bonded to the abuser through the trauma. And there's codependency as well. So you become dependent on them. I can't live without them. You know, I don't know who I am without this person. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for listening in today to the Confident Mompreneur podcast, the podcast by real women for real women, where we talk about real life difficulties and triumphs as women, moms, business owners, and more. Thanks so much for being a part of our Confident Tribe. Let's get into it. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so excited to get to meet you and get to hear more about you and kind of your take on this. So do you want to start us out by introducing yourself a little bit about you and your family and what you do? Sure. So I'm Misha Patel and I am a narcissistic abuse specialist and a narcissistic trauma-informed coach. I'm also a single mother to two gorgeous boys who are currently nine and 10. So it's very, very busy. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I run my own business. And all in all, I am just like every other mom, you know, trying to do her best. Um, Yeah, that's me. I love it. It sounds like we have a lot of similarities there. Single moms running businesses, healing from abuse, all of the different things. So how did you get into that specialized area of like healing from narcissistic abuse and trauma? So for me, my marriage broke down um, when I was around 30 years old, two children. Well, actually it was long before then, when I think about it really, um, I'd just given birth to my youngest and was told that my my ex-husband at the time basically said that he doesn't think our relationship's going to work three, three days after. I did not know what narcissistic abuse was. I did not know what trauma was. And I didn't realize that I was surrounded by people my whole life that were actually quite toxic and abusive because it's, it's all I'd ever known mm-hmm. from friends, from family members, from work colleagues, all different relationships. These are the people that I was surrounded by. So For me at that time, I completely lost myself. I turned into somebody who I could never even recognize. I didn't, I couldn't even make decisions for myself. My life revolved around my children. I became heavily codependent on them. My self-worth was attached to how good of a mom I was. And it kind of became an obsession where I just let go of myself completely. And I just every day woke up to be a mom. And then my marriage eventually ended. And I just felt even more lost, like I didn't know who I was. And I went on this kind of search to make myself feel better because I knew I wanted to be the best mum that I can to my children. But my days were waking up with fear, anxiety. How am I going to cope with things? You know, dropping the kids off to school and then I'd come home and I would just not know what to do. I couldn't even make simple decisions like what am I going to make for dinner? Mm -hmm. And I just ended up really, really broken. So I went in search of answers And that led me to narcissistic abuse. And it was actually through a podcast that I discovered narcissistic abuse. I'd known about it previously because I studied psychology. So I'd known about narcissistic personality disorder, but unless you experience it, it means nothing. Things like being gaslighted, even just betrayal, all of those things, the emotional manipulation, 
when you've been through it and you read it, it just hits completely different. And then I discovered narcissistic abuse is a result of childhood trauma, not just for the narcissist, but actually for the victims, victims themselves. So I went in search of my own inner child healing. I didn't really experience parental abuse as such, but it was from just things I'd experienced in my childhood. My dad being ill, my brother being born prematurely, having lots of um, attention. And I was kind of like the child that had to get on with it. And I didn't realize, but I had these abandonment wounds, rejection wounds, and I was essentially feeling like my parents love my brother more than they love me. And that was causing me to then search for that love in other people, in relationships, in friendships. And I'd spent my whole life doing this. And I basically decided that that's it. I'm just now ready to heal. I don't want to do this anymore. I spent a lot of time on my own healing. And then when I discovered kind of the magic formula using all these different things, I was like, I want everyone to know about this. And everyone should know about it because no mum especially has to go on suffering in silence on her own because when you experience that you feel like no one's going to believe you and you feel like you know you can't no one understands unless they've been through it Mm -hmm. so then being Indian and from the South Asian community it was even worse because mental health was not even spoken about you Mm -hmm. just dealt with your feelings on your own and then I decided that I'm going to now specialize in working with South Asian women but also everyone so I provide a safe space for them as well as anyone else men or women that have experienced abuse or toxic relationships and then we actually do the healing from the root cause which does mean going back to childhood and those deep wounds that we all try and run away from basically wow that's a lot (laughs) yeah I know it's a really long answer (laughs) well I mean that's so crazy that he just brought that up to you like literally three days after you had your son but I feel like that is typically the story when it comes to narcissistic abuse it's like the moment you have some sort of like good thing going on or you know some of the attention is on you or anything like that they immediately find a way to turn it on to themselves in like the worst ways possible so you you didn't really realize what was going on at that time now that you've kind of gone through and done all of this healing and you know all of this learning and everything like that what are some of the things that you look back on and now can say oh yeah that was definitely some of that narcissistic abuse that I went through that I wouldn't have even recognized then um love bombing I did not realize all the attention I was getting was love bombing because it felt so good to me you know just even the relationship moving really quickly within weeks we were girlfriend and boyfriend you know it just became I'd been introduced to family and I was young I was so young I was in school and I was still so kind of naive that he came along and made me feel amazing. And I just thought, that's it. You know, this is, I found my Prince Charming. Like I, Aladdin was my favorite movie. And I'm like, this is my Aladdin. But when you think about it in real life, Aladdin is a liar. He lied that, you know, I don't want to ruin it for people, but he lied that he's this prince. And now when I look back, I think, oh my God, I felt it within the first few months. Um, my body felt it within the first few months, but I wasn't listening to my gut because I was so in my thoughts that I'm going to have this great life that I've been sold, you know, 
all of the love bombing, when I look back, I was like, it was all there. And I just was so not in touch with myself. And if I'd been in tune with what I was feeling at the time, things probably would have been very different. Oh my gosh. I relate to that so much. Um, My ex was very much the same way. I was 18 when we were married, almost 19. um, Mm -hmm. And we're engaged after three weeks of dating. And it's like, you know, it was just like all of this love bombing, bombing up front and you think everything's wonderful and everything's perfect. And then it was like engaged. And then three months down the line, it was like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. But now I'm too far into it and I can't just get out of it, you know, type of thing. But I, they do definitely prey on people who do have those things going on, you know, where they have low self-worth or they're very young and naive or any of those types of things. They definitely kind of tend to bring those right? people yeah yeah they're just you're easier to manipulate if you're vulnerable exactly and you're looking for someone else to make you feel better about yourself yeah really so I feel like everybody uses the term narcissist or narcissistic in a very like general way like everybody is a narcissist now <laughs> right yeah it's so what are you about <laughs> Oh yes. It's everything. You go on TikTok and everybody's like saying something about a narcissist. I swear. So what are some of the actual markings of a narcissist or narcissistic, um, abusive relationship? So before we go into that, I actually just want to say that you don't need a diagnosis. So we don't need a diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder to be in a narcissistic relationship or even just suffer from trauma. The abuser can have one trait and it still cause you trauma. So you don't have to even have a list. And majority of the time, the abuse cycle is a good way to describe it rather than the traits itself, because there's healthy narcissism as well. We all have some form of narcissism because we need to be able to look in the mirror and say, oh, I look good in this outfit today. Mm-hmm. So we need that little bit. It's be- when it becomes abusive. So narcissistic is a- narcissistic abuse is when someone is essentially controlling you and making you feel like you aren't good enough. You aren't worthy, you aren't lovable, you aren't important. And you get sucked into that abuse cycle. And then the first stage is idealization, the love bombing. Then you've got devaluation. So you've been sucked in and then all of a sudden they start devaluing you and you start to think, about the person that they were when they love bombed you. Oh, that nice person's still in there. You're minimizing it. Oh, it's just because he's stressed at work. You know, he's got a lot going on right now. Or maybe it's because I didn't do this properly. I didn't cook his dinner the right way. Then what they do is they discard you. So that's when you get like the silent treatment or you will find that they're cheating or they have other addictions. They try and get rid of you or they try and break you down and then they want to suck you back in again. And that's where the hoovering happens. But by the time you've got yourself in an abuse cycle, you're trauma bonded and trauma bonding is where you've had cycles of abuse and affection. So you you're sucked into this repeated cycle of abuse and affection. And then that makes you bonded to the abuser through the trauma. And there's codependency as well. 
So you become dependent on them. I can't live without them. You know, I don't know who I am without this person. So rather than actually pointing out the traits, I always find it's easier to, to look at how you're feeling as a person. And then you can identify, okay, he's a narcissist. That's emotional manipulation. He's grandiose. You know, the self-importance. They think that they can do whatever they like, that they're better than other people. They're powerful. They have those kind of traits where, in front of other people, they're really great, but then behind closed doors, you see a different side. Mm-hmm. And there's different types of narcissists as well. There's, it doesn't always fit by the textbook because they've got covert narcissists, more subtle. You've got the overt narcissist. You know, sometimes I'll have a client and she'll be like, oh no, but he's not a narcissist at all. Like, you know, he's not confident and he doesn't love himself and he's not arrogant. He doesn't show any of that. But actually that's an overt narcissist. The covert are a lot more subtle. They will make those comments and they'll actually control you in ways that you don't even realize. Oh, I'll drive the car for you, you know? And even financial abuse, like start paying for everything, make you feel really, really good. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, you've got to give me your money. And you get so sucked into it, you don't even see it happening. So they're just some of the kind of red flags, but I always like to focus on more how you're feeling. Because if you focus on the other person, which is generally what happens, especially when you're in an abusive relationship, your whole day revolves around trying to keep them happy, trying to avoid the abuse. And all the attention comes away from yourself. So that's how I like to focus on it. Rather than diagnosing symptoms, looking at what somebody feels like, because the word is thrown about everywhere now. Mm. You know, oh, she likes to post mirror selfie. She must be a narcissist. It's just so loosely used. I think it's better to look at how the person is feeling and the the trauma that they're experiencing rather than trying to diagnose the partner as a narcissist. Because like I said, we're all going to have those traits at some point. But it's that continual cycle that keeps on happening. That's really the key there. Well, and I love that you brought up like the financial abuse side of things, because typically it does come with emotional abuse, financial abuse, sometimes physical. Um, you know, it, it is a combination of all of those things all at once. Um, I do appreciate how you said, like you get stuck in that cycle because they'll push you away. And then it's like, they immediately suck you back in and it's so hard to get out of. And I don't think that people realize that. So you said that he basically told you that three days after your son was born, but you didn't actually get separated for a while. Were you like stuck in that cycle or kind of what was going on to kind of pull yourself out of it? (laughs) I was stuck in that cycle for four years and I went back several times, even when he was with another woman, I went back several times four times I think and at one point I'd moved everything out including like my baby's cots and everything and I still went back because in my mind I needed him he was my drug I was trauma bonded and the only way I could feel good about myself was to have that drug so even little things like I had a client today and she was just saying how her ex had put an X at the end of his text message. And for her, it was like, wow, you know, he's put an X, he still cares about me, like a little kiss at the end of it. And, you know, for me, it was little things like that. I can't even remember because I'm so far out of it, but the little, little things would make me feel like, oh no, he does love me. It's breadcrumbing, gives me a crumb. And I thought I've got the whole loaf. And that's the kind of things that just kept me going because it was never a, I need to get rid of you. 
it was always with that kind of, yep, you leave. I want to be with this other woman, but still keeping me going on the side. Still giving me that little crumb of attention. And that is what was keeping me going and giving me hope. I just had this false narrative in my mind that, you know what? He's going to kick her out and we're going to get, get back together and live happily ever after. But I was so far gone from what I deserved. I didn't recognize that I deserved so much more at the time. Also, I had two babies, 18 months, you know, and three days old. What was I going to do? I didn't, I wasn't earning at that time. I didn't even, I couldn't even get through my day without some support from someone. Mm -hmm. So how am I going to do this? I actually went to live with my parents for a year and I still went back. They were like, no, don't go back. But I was like, I've got to give it one more try. I actually thought that I was being strong by not giving up. And I thought I'm giving my kids what we get told every family needs a mum and a dad. But what I couldn't see was they need a happy mum and a dad. They need a mum that's going to be there for them, not a mum that's always crying and broken down. And my three-year-old, my youngest, when he turned three and he was at nursery, he actually told nursery that daddy's not very nice to mummy. And that was the turning point for me when he went to, I think you guys call it daycare. Mm-hmm. And he went there. And when I went to pick him up, like his key worker, she just questioned me. She goes, is everything all right at home? And I said, yeah, everything's fine. Cause I'd got so used to pretending, you know, mm-hmm. looking at me, you would never tell that anything was wrong apart from I'd lost a lot of weight and I looked kind of tired, but I had two babies, you know, two toddlers. So that was excused. And I just said, yeah, everything's fine. And she goes, oh, like, you know, he said this at nursery today. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, we had a little argument. And, you know, I think he just bought that. But I went home that night and that was a turning point for me. And I just decided that my kids are seeing this and they're learning this behavior. And I don't want them to think that it's okay to talk to someone like that or to treat them that way. And that was when I, I mean, he wanted me gone anyway, by that point, he wanted to move her in. So I needed to be out of the situation. And that's when I finally accepted it. Mm. And I, I waited till the school year ended for my eldest and um, yeah, finally left. Yeah. It is so much harder than people assume it to be though, especially if you've never been in that kind of a situation. I feel like people are like, well, you can see how bad he is to you. Why don't you just leave? <laughs> I always love that. Why don't you just leave? What they don't realize yeah. is like you said, like you were completely dependent, like even financially dependent, you know, you didn't have any of that stuff. When I, when I moved out, I didn't have a car to my name. You know, I had just opened my own bank account. I didn't have any credit. It was like, you know, they make sure that you're very, very dependent on them just so that they can continue to keep that control. Yeah, that's it. And then you're already broken as a person. It's, you know, if you can't even make those little decisions, how are you going to make these big ones? Like, where are you going to live? Mm-hmm. You know, how am I going to earn? How am I going to get from A to B without a car? Like all of these little things are really big things because they're all piled on together. Mm-hmm. You're, you're essentially starting from scratch, right? Rebuilding your whole life. And you don't even know who you are. So I think a lot of it comes from the healing, mm-hmm. rebuilding that confidence. And actually... If I'd known what I've known now, I wish I'd got help sooner. So when my clients come to me and they've just found out that their husband's cheating or something like that, I'm like, I'm so glad you've come to me now because I wish I'd done that sooner. Mm -hmm. I wish narcissism was thrown around like it is now when people were questioning it because 
it would have meant I'd got the support I needed and I probably wouldn't have gone back as much as I did and I probably would have left earlier but yeah I mean we live so we learn right (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) it is really difficult though when you're out on your own after being in such a codependent relationship you said that a lot of that kind of fell onto your kids then you were like you know codependent on your kids how did that you know all of those traits that you had kind of picked up from that relationship affect your parenting after the fact in a way actually made me a really good mom because I was so obsessed with everything had to be great for them. You know, (laughs) I made sure they were eating all the best foods. And the downside was I'd sacrifice myself. So because I had become so dependent on making sure everything's okay for them, I'd forgotten about myself and I ended up ill. I ended up um, developing ulcerative colitis. So a a stress induced illness, autoimmune condition, which I actually had that when I was with my ex-husband, I was diagnosed during my second pregnancy. And that was my turning point for me that I'm going to start healing after I'd left. I'm now going to start focusing on me. And at the time I didn't realize how codependent I was on them. It was kind of after I'd come out of it and I'd realized, okay, I'm now focusing on me. This feels good. And it allows my children to do what they want as well. They can start becoming a bit more independent and start learning to do things for themselves which is always a good thing as well because I never wanted kids at 10 year up 10 years old that you know need me to get them a glass of water they needed to be independent and actually because I then started focusing on me I allowed them to start focusing on them and I was setting a good example for them mum needs some time to herself in the evening so you guys have got to go to sleep and it's worked brilliantly because right now we're recording this and they both know that they can't disturb me (laughs) they should be asleep but I've let them play games because it's really hot right now in the UK and yeah it's just unbearable really so they know that okay mum's busy she's got to work and we can't disturb her so Mm -hmm. back to your question the turning point for me was recognizing that I need to fill my cup up if I'm not the best version of me I can't be the mother that they need And by being the mum that I was to them, when I was codependent, I was exhausting myself out and I would have ended up in the hospital bed. Mm -hmm. So that's when, that's what I was showing when I was codependent. And also I didn't want my kids to then have anxiety and be worried about things and be reliant on me. I didn't want them to have that anxious attachment style if I'm not around. So being the only parent that was there for them, like consistently, I wanted to make sure that I had a secure attachment in myself. So they were then able to build that self-confidence to be able to regulate. Co-regulation is so important. Our nervous systems are connected. And if I'm stressed, they're stressed. So that was the turning point for me that actually I need to heal myself and I need to be able to set boundaries with people because it got to a point where I was giving up things like seeing my friends because oh no, got to be there for the kids, got to do this, got to do that, you know, and I wasn't able to, even when they were with their dad, I wasn't able to do anything, because my life revolved around, are they okay, mm-hmm. you know, are they sleeping, have they gone to bed on time, have they eaten properly, you know, are they okay, so I felt like I can't be living trapped, trapped in that kind of mindset anymore, 
So I decided it's time to now focus on me, do my healing. And I've just been on this transformational journey. And it actually really helps me now because we have open conversations. The children recognize things that I wouldn't have recognized at their age. Mm-hmm. They have learned to set boundaries with people as well. You know, I you don't have to put up with that. It's okay. Oh, of course, they've got some issues as well. They, they are going to struggle in some areas, but we're able to talk about it. And that's where their trauma is going to be reduced. And we've broken that cycle of generational trauma. Mm-hmm. Which is so awesome. I love that like you're able to do that. And I think that's so important for, you know, moms to not continue that on to their children. How hard was it for you though, to start focusing on yourself? Cause when I started doing that, it was like, I had released these floodgates of all of the emotions that I had held back, you know, for so long, or, you know, all of this stuff that I, just hadn't put the time or energy into now was like at the very forefront and it was kind of overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely the same. It it was very, very overwhelming. I think what I was fortunate about was one of the first things I learned when I started getting help for myself was regulation. So I learned those tools to be able to help to get myself out of when I felt frozen or when I felt really overwhelmed and really upset and I'd learned to take it one step at a time, I didn't need to have this complete transformation overnight and because it never works. You're never going to be able to set these new routines. I had all these things in my mind that I want to go vegan. I want to get up at 6 a.m. and work out and I want to go for walks and I want to do this and I want to do that. I'm going to eat healthily and I it just wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so I started slowly and it's still an ongoing journey because healing is never a destination, right? It's always a journey. And every day I'm still trying to set new routines, you know, do things that are still good for me. It's like I, I, I focused on one area and I thought, okay, let's focus on that. Then let's move on to the next one. Recently, like I've started skincare journey. And then I was like, now I want to work on hair care. All the things that I've just let go of one at a time, I started just doing little things The really, when I mean little, I mean the really, really small things because I was in a freeze mode as well for a very long time. I was not even get able to get out of bed. And I only did because I had to get up for the kids. Mm-hmm. So the little things like going to bed earlier, because I would sit there in the evenings, exhausted in a freeze mode, mindlessly scrolling on my phone you know, or just distracting myself with things I didn't need to do. So I started to recognize this is what I'm experiencing. I'm in a freeze trauma response. Let me work out why I'm in this response and let's start feeling more safe and regulated to go to sleep earlier so I can then wake up earlier. Very, very small. I started talking to the right people because certain people that I spoke to, I wasn't getting the right response and actually... For a long time, I didn't speak to anyone about it because I just thought they're not going to understand. I kept everything to myself. So when I reached out, I made sure that I went to somebody who was narcissism informed. Slowly, I started building a network of school mums, other friends who'd been through the same thing. So you don't even have to talk about it because they understand. If you say something, they completely get it. You don't have to explain. And all of this really helped in my healing journey because 
you feel really alone in that moment and you feel like you're the worst mom in the world and you're the only one that feels this way. And everything you see, especially with social media, Instagram, you know, I'm seeing all my friends with their perfect families and living these perfect lives. And, oh, you know, they're going to the school run all dressed up and I'm there in my like ripped clothes (laughs) and just putting whatever I can on doesn't even match. They just look beautiful. And I felt really bad. So I was like one step at a time. And I started actually rationalizing. I did cut myself off social media. I gave myself the time to sit with the feelings Mm -hmm. because healing is in the feeling. And I was trying to resist those feelings, but rather than letting it put me into a depression, I just let it trickle out. I'm going to deal with this problem now. And then I'm going to deal with this problem. And then I'm going to deal with this problem. But I think getting support was one of the biggest things that I did. And I'm so grateful because it is life-changing. And I don't think people realize how life-changing it is. And I thought I was going to be judged. I thought I'm going to be there and they're going to be like, well, because my previous experience was like that. I went to a counselor and I told her what I was feeling. And then we had a couple's counseling session and it all got completely flipped around onto me. You know, I'm the crazy one and I'm doing Mm -hmm. this and I'm doing that. So it kind of put me off because I thought everyone's going to be like that. But then I discovered somebody who was narcissism informed and it really changed everything. I was heard. I felt safe. And I think that's what really helped with that overwhelming feeling. And even now, if I'm feeling something, I know it's completely okay for me to just book an appointment, book a session, talk it out, have someone else's perspective or them just say to me, you're overthinking. Stop. You know, why are you worrying about that? So it really helps to just have a community and a network or someone to reach out to, to prevent that overwhelm because you're not alone, but we feel like we're alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. I love that you talk about that uh, therapist thing because that was always a conversation, you know, I especially because narcissists do such a good job of putting on one face for outside people. And then at home, there's somebody totally different. I always thought that that was exactly how therapy would go. If we went to couples counseling, it would all get flipped onto me. So I'm glad you said that. (laughs) And that's why marriage counseling doesn't work with a narcissist, right? Mm -hmm. You have to want to make it happen. And the codependent goes in willing to change themselves and do whatever they need to because they think they're broken and they need to fix themselves Uh and then the narcissist there's nothing wrong with me so nothing changes you only end up losing yourself even more because it just reinforces that oh it it must be me Uh (laughs) because they they, they're just so eloquent in the way that they manipulate people yes and as a victim when you've got trauma and you're suffering from that complex ptsd you go into your fight mode or you end up looking like the crazy psycho and they end up looking really calm and composed. Oh, but he's so calm. You know, you calm down now. And you've got reactive abuse. That's it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. After years of baiting and provoking, right. You're going to flip. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it's really important to talk about like all of those traits that we kind of pick up through that, those years of kind of, um, 
training and yeah manipulating and just trying to survive it we pick up all of these negative traits and then it's so hard to let go of them through that healing process but I think it's really important like you said especially when you're you're a mom and you're trying to raise kids and you're trying to kind of break free of that to work on healing that stuff for yourself so that you're not passing it down to your kids and you know generational trauma I think um, a lot of people talk about now and it can just come from one generation you know you said that you had a pretty good relationship with your parents but you know your your situation could have heavily impacted your kids if you hadn't made those changes so it it can change things for generations to come if you don't heal it for yourself and for your kids now 100% and I think there's also cultural conditioning mm-hmm you know, so many cultures have these things that they think that we should be doing. And I think for me, a lot of my trauma came from that. This brown girl going to a school where I was trying to hide what things were like at home. I was embarrassed of going to school smelling like Indian cooking like, and having oil in my hair. And all these things were so normal for my mum's generation. And in India, it was also normal. Whereas being raised in the UK, I was born in the UK. I'd not, I'd not known the life in India and I wanted to be more like my friends and I wanted to fit in. So a lot of that was where my insecurities came from as well. Just that trauma of never feeling like I'm going to be able to fit in. So that was something else to be kind of cautious of. You don't necessarily have to come from families where there is a really, really toxic environment because it can happen anywhere. Any, anything can give you trauma mm-hmm. because it's not, what you've been through it's how it's left you feeling and as children we do internalize a lot of things we blame ourselves for things you know if my mum was angry for example I'm going to think it's because I didn't make the bed in the morning Mm -hmm. not knowing that as adults they have all these responsibilities and all these stresses and she's just burnt out so there's a lot of things obviously that when you begin your healing journey you start to unpack And you start to actually think, oh, this is why I'm this way, but that's not me. And I can change that. And even with um, what you spoke about with reactive abuse and all the traits that you pick up, we have mirror neurons and the mirror neurons in our brain essentially copy that behavior of somebody else. So when we like walk down the street and we smile at someone, like they smile back because the mirror neurons in their brain say, oh, she's smiling, let me smile back. Similar with survival, you know, you need to, to befriend the bully, you need to become like the bully. So then they don't abuse you essentially. So you do pick up these traits and then you end up having this conflict, you know, like I had to scream at my kids because they weren't listening to me because they were so used to being screamed at. And I didn't like that. So for me, it was working on what was triggering me. So then I'm able to then stay regulated and speak to them in a way that I want to. So we can have an open conversation of course, I'm going to be triggered. We all are. We're all going to be triggered by things that happen that take us back to our past experiences. But it's about just staying in the present moment, telling your nervous system that you're a grown adult now. You're not that little girl who wasn't able to run away, who wasn't able to fight her parents or teacher when they when she got told off. You're a grown adult now. Bringing yourself back to the present moment really helps you to just regulate, tell your brain it's okay, rather than it just getting worse and worse and worse and you're becoming more and more activated. 
Yeah, I love that a lot because it is really hard not to fall back into those patterns, you know, especially when something happens to dysregulate us, you know, a child screaming mom at us 50 times will usually do that. (laughs) So um, what are some of the specific tools or um, tricks that you use to help you get out of that state and into a more regulated state in order to be a better parent for your sons? The first thing I would do is make sure that I'm well rested, fed, watered, right? Because if we're sleep deprived, it's so hard to stay regulated. Breathing, breathing is one of the biggest things, conscious breathing, making sure that I am taking breaths into my belly. And when I'm feeling myself becoming quite dysregulated, um, dysregulation is you going into your sympathetic trauma response. So your fight flight response your heart rate increases, your blood flow speeds up around your body because it's preparing you to fight or to flee. So your body, you need to override that. Emotion overrides logic. So what you need to do is take some deep breaths. I like to use a method called the 528 breathing, which is where you breathe in through your nose for five, you hold for two, and you breathe out through your mouth for eight. Breathing into your belly also helps to just calm your nervous system down. So that's a method that I like to use. But one thing I do want to say is it's so easy for me to say that, right? But we need to practice the tools of regulation even when we are feeling calm because we don't jump into the deep end if we don't know how to swim. We need to learn in the shallow end first. And it's very similar with all these tools to regulate. We have to practice them even when we're feeling safe. So our nervous system builds a flexibility It's called vagal toning because we have a vagus nerve and that is what helps us to send the signals of safety to the brain. And that vagus nerve needs to be toned and we need to keep on toning it. So conscious breathing is a big thing that really, really helps. And also bringing yourself back to the present moment. So counting backwards from 10. If I know that I'm starting to get really angry, I take my attention to my, well, my thoughts, to counting backwards from 10. Looking around me, what are five things I can see in the room? What are four things I can touch? You know, bringing my awareness back to my body. What do my feet feel like on the ground? What does my bum feel like on my seat? What are three things I can hear around me? What are two things I can smell? What is one thing I can taste? I mean, you can mix it up depending on what's around you. It doesn't have to be in that order. But when you are bringing yourself back to the present moment, your vagus nerve is sending signals of safety to your brain. And it really helps you to calm down in the moment. Just recognizing that, okay, I'm starting to feel my heart rate speeding up. I'm starting to feel anger. Let me take control of this now before I explode. Mm -hmm. So that's some of the things that I've learned. Nobody's perfect. So there are going to be times that you will see me screaming at my children. But (laughs) it's also... It's also about not having that toxic shame, right? Not instilling that toxic shame into them. So one big thing that I have changed, which my parents never did, was apologizing, taking accountability for when I mess up and giving my children that space to say, mom, you did this wrong. When you did this, it made me feel like this. And then I have to own that. I apologize. I didn't realize I made you feel that way. I'm sorry. I will try harder next time. Even toxic shame. Like 
I'll give you an example. My son broke a plate a few weeks ago and he was focusing on reading a book while he was trying to marmite his toast. And I could see it happening, like just sliding off the counter. And I just said to him, focus on your marmite. Yeah. And within 30 seconds, the plate smashed, went all over the floor. I screamed, shouted at him, you know, because I went into my stress response, like danger. He could have got hurt. Like when a child like, goes to run across the road, right? Of course you're going to scream and shout and get angry at them. But instead of then getting annoyed with him like I would have in the past and saying, that's it, you know, no books for the week. You're not allowed devices. Instead of doing that, I actually had to rationalize myself and say, I'm really sorry. I screamed at you because I was worried that you were going to get hurt. And it was my natural response. It's not because you've done anything wrong, right? Because he was like, I'm sorry, I broke a plate. And I'm like, it's okay. But this is the reason why we've got 50p Ikea plates because they can be broken and they can be replaced. Mm -hmm. So I had to just apologize and make sure he knows that I'm not screaming because there's something wrong with him. I'm screaming because I was worried. And in the moment, that was my autonomic nervous system reaction. But it doesn't mean that he's not good enough or he's done something wrong. And that's the difference, right? We are able to recognize that when you've healed. Otherwise, when you haven't healed, you don't know how to bring yourself out of that anger. And you don't know how to not then say, okay, I'm punishing you. You've done something really bad. You're able to, to come at it at a very different point of view. Yeah, I love that. And it's so true. I love that, you know, now, especially our generation, I feel like is really working on breaking those shame cycles, you know, in ourselves and our kids. Um, so for the moms that are, you know, in the thick of it right now, they're going through that type of a relationship, they're in it, or they're just kind of out of it and starting on their healing journey. What words of wisdom would you give them? That you are not alone. Take it slowly. And every single day, just take some time for yourself. Even if it's five minutes in the bathroom taking time to do something small for yourself that makes you feel good. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to go out and buy a new outfit or do anything big. Like for me, one of the first things I started was just painting my nails. And I didn't even know what color I liked to paint them because I just listened to everyone else my whole life, you know? And I was like, I'm gonna just get my nail varnishes out and I'm gonna make sure that I book in time in my calendar every week to paint my nails and give myself that time to just do something for me that makes me feel good. So when I looked at them, it gave me a reminder that this feels good to me. It made me smile. And also just to reach out. There are so many organizations, so many places that you can go to to reach out. Some of the little things that kept me going was mother and toddler groups, forcing myself to go out. I was highly codependent, so I was doing it for my children. But now when I look back, I realize how much it benefited me having that mum to speak to, having someone who is actually telling me her honest, raw story of what happened, how she got pooed on in the morning and how you know she's struggling as well because you feel like you're alone. So don't feel like you're alone. It's okay to reach out and it's okay to be vulnerable with the right people. If anyone makes you feel judged or anyone makes you feel uncomfortable, then you're not speaking to the right person. And it's absolutely okay to put boundaries in place and not share information with people even when you're asked because sometimes people just want to probe and it's really important to 
be able to just say, look, I don't want to speak about this right now. You know, or I'm not in a place to talk about it because people don't need to know. Mm-hmm. And then you only speak to the people that you actually feel safe with. And having just some time to yourself really helps you to connect with what you're feeling, what you're thinking. So you don't need to have, you can do all of these things with children. You don't need to have like a spa day or book <laughs> yourself in for a massage. You know, like you can do the little things every day that just help you to feel better. Yeah. I 100% agree. I did a social media hiatus for like, I don't know, six months, eight months, something like that, just while I was going through and healing myself. And it was one of the best things that I think I did. But well, thank you so much for all of this great wisdom. I feel like, you know, we learned so much from you. And again, it's so nice to feel understood and heard you know, something that both of us have been through and can share. So um, I know that you said you work with clients on this. So what kind of programs do you have? Where can we find you? All of the things. So my handle is at therapy with Misha, M-I-S-H-A. My website is www.therapywithmisha.com. Instagram is predominantly where I'm more active. And people can contact me on there as well. My inbox is always open if anyone needs support. I currently am doing one-to-ones, but I don't have capacity at the moment to take on new clients. But obviously when this goes out, I may do. So please do get in touch. And I'm also launching a group healing program in September because I found that the community aspect is really important and going through it with other people just accelerates the healing program. And the healing, I think to have that people to speak to, to familiarize yourself with and to know that you're not alone. So that's starting in September. It has opened, the doors have opened for that and all the information is available on my website or on my social media as well. Okay, perfect. Well, I'm sure there will be a few people reaching out to you, but thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Y'all, wasn't that just incredible? Thank you for being here with me today. And if you loved this episode, please leave us a review and share and tag us on all your socials. We'll see you next time.